Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock MBA Podcast. Today's episode is the audio version of a podcast I was on a couple months ago called Metal Trenches. And there's a link to the podcast in the show notes here if you want to check it out yourself. Listen to the other episodes. The topic of this one is mental health, something that I've talked about a lot in my videos, I think. And I want to keep talking about more because... There's a few things that I think people don't really understand about this topic. The main thing that I would hope everybody takes away from this is that you can and must do your very best to control your own psychology. At the end of the day, we are all subject to brain chemistry. I mean, that's what mental health is, really. So that's like thing number one that I hope everyone understands is that it's not a lack of willpower or it's not like a character defect. If you are dealing with some sort of mental health issue like depression or anxiety or whatever, It's brain chemistry. It's no different than like diabetes or asthma or anything else. Like it's a physiological issue that manifests itself in a way that, you know, is not visible to the naked eye, but it's still at the end of the day, it's brain chemistry. And that's for better or for worse, something that some of us just have to deal with. And as tough as it is, as much as we want to think that we're just kind of subject to the whims of our brain and to some extent we are there's a role that we can play in controlling that as well if you've ever heard of cbt not cbd the weed oil i mean cbt cognitive behavioral therapy that's kind of what i'm talking about here and what we talk about in this episode there's ways of kind of monitoring your own thinking and catching your brain before it goes down those dark alleyways that have nothing but bad news at the end and you're going to have ups and downs but there are things that you can do to help your brain stay on the right path and that is what we talk about on this episode again something i feel very strongly about you know i've been going through a lot of anxiety recently it sucks shit i hate it (laughs) but you know this is i don't want to say the cross that we must bear because that sounds dramatic but You know, just like some people have some sort of physical health condition that they have to deal with, there's some of us that have a mental health condition we have to deal with. And what I hope everyone takes away from this is just the understanding that you can be proactive about it. You don't have to just give up and kind of let it take its course. You can control this thing. It's going to take daily effort, but you can do it. And even if you don't necessarily have a mental health issue, if you are, I don't know, as they say, neurotypical, 
It can only help you and make you a happier person to put in conscious daily effort into controlling the way that you think and controlling the way that you talk to yourself because this is powerful shit, you know? Thoughts become actions. Actions influence your thoughts. It's kind of this like self-perpetuating flywheel. And if you don't control it, it's going to control you. That is the bottom line. So I hope you enjoyed this one. It's something I feel super strongly about. I really enjoyed it. Before we get into it, I wanted to mention a couple ways you can support the show if you are so interested. Number one is to join my email newsletter. There is a link to that in the description. I'm sending it out every week with a link to any content that I put out on my main channel, on my second channel, on the podcast, any press or interviews that I may have done. There's no spam or ads. I'll never sell or share your email address in any way. Just a link to my content. So if that sounds like something you would be interested in, hit that link in the show notes and sign up. Second thing you can do is I've been putting a lot more effort into my merch store lately. You know, I've been talking about on my main channel how artists should regard that as like a pillar of their business. And I've started to take my own advice, started to make some cool new stuff, which I am pretty excited about and it's been doing well. So you can check that out at the link in the show notes as well. And of course, thank you to all the patrons who support us here. This is how we do the podcast. That's how I pay our producer and editor. So thank you very much to everyone who supports on Patreon. And if you would like to join, there's a link to that in the show notes as well. It's time for Trench Talk for your weekly infusion of metal and otherwise heavy music. I'm your host, Flight of Icarus from MetalTrenches.com. If you have not already, please do subscribe to the channel. There's plenty more videos and interviews where this came from. All right, so I'm here with Finn McKenty, and most of my listeners probably know him from the Punk Rock MBA YouTube channel, but I know you're a busy guy with a lot of different projects, and I know we had a bunch of stuff we wanted to really focus on, but could you give us sort of a brief summary of what got you passionate and started in starting all these different avenues? Yeah, well, these days I do two things. The first, uh, and what my 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 quote unquote day job, but it's not. When you say day job, it sort of implies that's the thing you do because you have to do, not because you want to do it, which is not the case for me. The thing that I spend most of my time on is I'm a, a director of marketing, and I kind of do a lot of the operations as well for URM Academy, which is the world's we call it the world's best online school for rock and metal producers. If you are a producer, maybe you have seen one of our ads for our main program, which is called Nail the Mix, where essentially the way that that works is uh, you subscribe and then every month you get the multi-tracks from a you know, popular rock or metal album. And then uh, at the end of the month, you get that at the beginning of the month. And then at the end of the month, the producer who uh, makes the album will come on and do a live stream where they actually walk you through how they did it on the album. So you can kind of compare your work to theirs. We've had like... Andrew Wade at the Day to Remember. We had Nolly and Periphery. We had Dan Lancaster and Bring Me the Horizon. Had Daniel Bergstrand and Meshuggah. Jens Bagren with Opeth. So, you know, a lot of the kind of big bands in that world. So that's what I spend most of my time on. And then the other thing that I do is my YouTube channel you mentioned is called the Punk Rock MBA. In the past, um, I have done, you know, a lot of things under the heading of design and marketing over the years. I uh, spent some time on the agency side doing like industrial design and product development. I worked on a lot of stuff for Febreze and Swiffer. Uh, I was the creative director for a marketing uh, for a uh, video uh, magazine called Flow, which some of you guys might remember back in the mid 2000s. Uh, I was a I did marketing for Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister for about four years, and then, like you said, I 
Uh, I did. I worked for Creative Live, which is another online learning company for a little less than five years. Done a bunch of freelance stuff for periphery and a data remember and get good drums and intervals and horizon devices and a bunch of other stuff, but I'm not doing any freelance stuff now because I really just want to focus on these two things on, on URM Academy and my YouTube channel. Cool. I'm sure that keeps you busy enough as it is. <laughs> One of the things I have realized, which I would love to talk about with you, um, is that, uh, there's a, a, a breed of people where for us, we use work the same way other people use like golf or laying on the beach. Um, it is calming to me to work on something. It is stressful for me to not be working on something. And I, and I, that's not like in a workaholic sort of sense, at least I don't think so. Um, it's just, I, it, I enjoy making things. And if I'm not making things, that's, you know, that is more stressful to me. So that, uh, and, and that's, that's the reason like, People say they're busy as sort of like they want to wear that like a badge of honor or something like that. Um, I keep myself busy because it makes me happy and I enjoy it, not because I'm like so hardworking and stoic that I just like, you know, I'm a 24-7 hustle machine or something like that. Yeah, and that's something I hear from a lot of people. And just to kind of let the listeners know, too, like I we had been talking about uh, doing this podcast together, and it seemed like the thing that really clinched it was this this idea of focusing more on mental health. Because I saw that video that you did sometime last year, and I work in the field, and as somebody who is very passionate about you know counseling people and working with with teams of counselors and helping people, I'm glad that this is becoming more of a hot topic right now among content creators and musicians and so on and so forth. Cause it's, to me, it's such a foundational issue to kind of everything going on right now. So I've, it's interesting that you yeah. say among content creators, I hadn't actually thought of that before, but you're totally right. Uh, I think in general, uh, how old are you? I am. This will be the first time I say this on the podcast. Actually, I'm 32. I'll okay, actually, so I'll be 33 in a month, though. So. so you're a little bit younger than me, but you still probably will remember. Um, when we were younger, like as recently as like, I don't know, probably the 2000s, nobody really talked about this stuff. And yeah. the idea of uh, anybody sort of publicly acknowledging that they had, you know, something as common as depression or anxiety was, just really wasn't a thing. And if it ever was acknowledged, it was very stigmatized. Nobody ever talked about being on any sort of medication or anything like that. I think partly because SSRIs were invented in like the 80s or something, weren't they? Like they're pretty new drugs, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I mean, in the big scheme of things, they're they're very new. Uh, and then there's all the other ones like SNRIs and stuff like that, which I think are even newer. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'd argue that the whole field of counseling in a way is still going through growing pains. Like there's still so much more to learn and we're rapidly learning things so quickly that even just over the past 10 years, I'd say we've, we're trying to go through a complete overhaul process of, uh, unfortunately, kind of all these myths that have been propagated over the years unintentionally just because the research wasn't there yet um, mm -hmm. and, and teaching people kind of the right way to to help themselves and help their kids and and all of that now well the the what i was going to say is i think it's uh interesting that you, you said among creators because i would say that creators are 
maybe driving that conversation more than any other group of people, which is interesting. I hadn't really ever thought about that before, but like among YouTubers, it's a very common topic yeah. to discuss, like the, the, the need to, um, you know, if, if so, you guys have probably seen every big YouTubers made a video where they talk about this. Um, they talk about how there's, you know, there's kind of two sides of it. One is just the actual grind of creating as much content as they do, which, you know, can be hard. But what's harder for a lot of people, including me, and, and, and I think a lot of the creators is managing your own psychology because it's a total emotional roller coaster, not just YouTube, any kind of creative project is like a total emotional roller coaster. And being able to like control that and, and manage your emotions and, you know, well, basically mental well-being <laughs> is like the real battle. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of curious for you too. like, when you say it's comforting to, to go in, like be working on something, but it's, it's kind of not, it's stressful to not be working. Yeah. What, what does that look like for you? Uh, you mean like, how do I feel or what am I doing? Like, yeah. What like you... what's your like internal experience of that? How would you describe kind of that? I just, I'm just bored. Like everything is boring to me other than, I mean, I like being with my wife and just, you know, like I, I, I am, I try very hard and I think I am present when we're doing stuff together. So I like make a very deliberate effort to be a hundred percent present when we're doing stuff together. Um, I probably am not a hundred percent present, but that's, that's something I put a great deal of effort into. And I think it's important to do that. Um, but you know, if it's just like my free time, like I'll try to play a video game or watch TV or like, it's just boring to me. Like I don't, I'm just like, eh, this, fuck this. Like I want to go make something like it's, making something is just the most fun, interesting activity for me. Yeah. And I, and I can relate to that. I mean, that's part of why I, I do this podcast and started my own channel and I, I like actively working on things too, but I was also curious for some people, there's also like sort of a feeling of anxiety associated with being bored. And is there some of that for you or is it mostly just you'd rather be doing something? It's mostly that I'd just rather be doing something, although I just in general feel um, like my main motivator, aside from just that I I take pleasure from making stuff, um, my main motivator is, you know, I grew up not like dirt poor or something like that, but pretty poor, a single mother on welfare, and it was unpleasant. And, uh, you know, I've had a few other experiences in life where kind of the rug got pulled out from under me financially in a caused a lot of emotional pain. And so my big motivator is like to, um, basically stay ahead of that and be prepared. And I feel like if I'm not moving forward, uh, and you know, basically building that like financial fortress that I'm at risk and that makes me feel anxious. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm glad you brought up, you, you know, briefly your childhood here too, because, if I had a nickel for every time I, you know, talked to somebody who had some some sort of struggle like this and asked them the question, you know, did were there aspects of your early development, your childhood that were rough or difficult in some way? Uh, the answer is never no. Like the, those things, are, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> those things are very, very closely associated. So you already like kind of answered that question. I mean, I, I, what I find is that 
very early on, a lot of these people kind of learn as sort of su a survival instinct, more yeah. or less, that like you have to Yeah, that's to a good way of putting it. That's you, for yeah. sure my main motivation is that, like survival instinct. And and it literally is one, like, because if you're thinking about, and I, I do trainings on this all the time, um, just how your brain develops and what areas of your brain are developing, and especially like if in the first three years of your life, especially like rough things are going on, whether it's abuse or neglect, or you're in the foster care system, or things, those are definitely yeah. the worst years of my life, without question. Yeah, yeah, and unfortunately, and this is the big uphill battle I always have to fight because I do trauma therapy and the number one response I get from a lot of kids and a lot of families is like, oh yeah, there was domestic violence or oh yeah, like they're in foster care or whatever, but that happened when they were like two years old. So they don't even remember it. Or the kid right. says like, I don't remember it. We can talk about it. It doesn't bother me at all. But it, but it, it, it has a neurological impact, yes. right? Oh, totally. 100%. It gets and like- it's not something you just like, you know, get over. It's like neurology. Yeah, it's it's literally like brain science. And in fact, the terminology I've started using uh, with counselors around this, and I've encouraged them to talk to the families about is is it's basically brain damage. Like it actually, right, right, right. it's not even basically brain damage. It is brain damage. They can do brain imaging and show that the structures of the brain and the size of the brain and just the interconnectedness of it are not where they're supposed to be because of these these kind of lacking experiences because you're supposed to be getting all these sort of attachment and security things and the parts of your brain that are developing during that early period are all associated with kind of interaction and fight or flight response and right. self-preservation those more sort of animalistic lower parts of the brain and so if those parts of the brain are kind of malnourished so to speak early on it can create a lot of problems that that range in severity from what you're describing to just this constant need to be doing something all the way to you know you're you're engaging in a criminal lifestyle and right. <laughs> all that kind of stuff so how do you um the way i might interpret that if i was you know being really i don't know uh, fatalistic it's like oh well so i'm fucked i have brain damage and there's nothing to do about it no i'm serious like what if somebody responds that way like well i'm fucked well you know so if my brain was damaged when i was two and there's nothing i can do about it then what's the point of us even being here how would you respond to that no that's that's a great question and that's why i'm very quick to have like i almost have a speech for it at this point because I've talked about it so many times because that is the natural place to go. So I'm like, before you even go there, I'm going to tell you right now that like it would be easy to think like, oh, well, shit, like, <laughs> you know, I've got brain damage. So that's just the way it is. But the good news is that this type of brain damage is healable in a very kind of non-invasive kind of way. There, there's a lot of research out there showing the benefits of utilizing certain strategies that can not only make you feel and function better, but literally the brain is regrowing pathways. Oh, that's like interesting. Is that like neuroplasticity? Yeah, or is that that's, that's, okay, a, that's, that's exactly what it is. Like it, it, interesting. The brain is very, uh, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? It's... Um, you know, it's adaptive, malleable. And it's, uh, malleable. Yeah. And, and fortunately, yeah. and so I say to them, like, the bad news is, yeah, you you have brain damage. But the good news is that it's it's fixable and it's fixable through very simple tasks and interventions that 
are just going to take a lot of daily practice. And I like framing right. it that way, that this is brain damage and we're basically doing like non-invasive brain surgery. Because when I use that terminology, it drives the most important point home that tends to be a struggle for people who are working on this is that it's work. It's daily work. It's, yeah. it's repetition. Because what builds those <laughs> neural pathways back up again is a lot of just doing these things on a daily basis, making it part of your routine so that you have the opportunity to get those structures back where they need to be. That's really interesting to hear. And I'm uh, sorry, sometimes I have a problem where I'm thinking about like 70 things at once. I'm not sure which one to say first. That can be part of it too. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, Well, just when I'm engaging in like an interesting conversation. So it's interesting to hear that. Um, and I'm happy to hear that because I have my whole life put, I mean, even since I was like a child, put in conscious daily, like hour by hour, even minute by minute effort into exactly that, like controlling, you know, my own psychology and, uh, you know, correcting course as needed. And the, the place that I got that from is from my mom who experienced a lot of trauma when she was a kid, like her. Uh, both her parents died when she was really young and then her brother killed himself and a bunch of other stuff, like really serious kind of stuff that definitely scrambled her brain at a young age. And she, you know, she was an alcoholic and stuff like that. And, uh, and I totally understand why now, I mean, it's almost like, well, of course she was like, how could you not be if you experienced that much trauma? Like that leaves a mark, you know, but, uh, and, and in spite of that, uh, and I don't know why, but she, was very, very, very dedicated to that. Like ever, as long as I can remember, she has put in hours of work. I mean, she's dead now, but as long as I can remember, she put in hours of work every day on, on that, on, um, basically sort of, you know, she tried various different in the eighties and stuff, all these various different like self-help programs. She was in AA and, and I, I went to AA meetings and stuff and Al-Anon and some other things, when I was 12 step programs when I was a little kid, cause we couldn't afford a babysitter. So, <laughs> you know, my, some of my earliest memories are being four or five years old at an AA meeting with my mom. And, uh, on the one hand that was kind of depressing because being in a church basement in 1984 with a bunch of like alcoholics is kind of a bummer. Um, yeah. It's definitely not Chuck E. Cheese's. No. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, uh, and, and I, when I was younger, I was kind of like bitter or like a little bit resentful of that. Cause I was just like, gee, thanks mom for dragging me along to that. But now I'm actually really grateful for it because she built that habit in me from, you know, the earliest age I can remember built that habit in me of consistent daily practice on like auditing, where your emotions and feelings and actions are at and putting a conscious effort into correcting course as needed. Um, and I think that that I was a much less happy functional person when I was younger and I'm happy now. And I, I credit that largely to, uh, you know, the fact that she built that habit into me when I was a kid and also, and my dad was a corrections officer and, you know, corrections, the, the idea of like between the two of them, I mean, he beat, not beat. I, I, I don't mean that he didn't beat me. He was a great father, but, um, he drilled that idea of choice and consequence into my brain from an early age, because that's what corrections is all about. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, your choice is kind of, you yeah. played with fire enough times you got burned and now you're in prison. Um, 
And so between the two of those, I feel like, uh, you know, whatever shortcomings I had uh, with my childhood, I feel like they gave me the greatest gift you could, which is a, a, an understanding and belief that you can control your uh, happiness and some tools to do that. Yeah. I, you know, and it's so great to hear you say that because I think that's something that uh, it's so corny to say like the younger generation or whatever, but I think that a lot of them are missing out on that because older you know, people are too. And this is, yeah, I don't even well, think it's true, related true, with age. Yeah. I think it's just a thing that does you're familiar with the idea of like locus of control. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think this like, so, uh, well, what well, you you're, you're focused on, a, you're well, focused on like an internal locus of control is what you're talking about right now. Yeah. Maybe you could explain the two kind of <laughs> paradigms for anybody who's not familiar. Yeah. I mean, the it. basic idea is that you've got your internal locus of control, which is basically like my, what can I do about myself? Like what within myself can I do to make a situation better and, uh, you know, make my life good, like through my thinking and through like doing things that make me feel a certain way. And just like the things that are fully within your personal control, whereas external locus of control is things that are more somewhat out of your control that, you know, the neighborhood you live in, the community that you have, the people who are in your family, the people you interact with, and how those things interact with you. And so I, this was the sim same kind of direction I actually wanted to go with what I was saying is because I feel like, unfortunately, the zeitgeist has sort of shifted exactly. more in favor of the external locus of control. Exactly, because that's what everyone wants to tell yeah. you is it's not your fault. Yeah. But and I, I can save you. And I, and I hate that, especially. It's, and it's bullshit. Yeah, it's it, it poisonous, is. toxic Thank idea you. you can possibly put in somebody's brain. <laughs> I was literally, I have like a side podcast that's more focused specifically on mental health. And I, I haven't finished it yet, but I kind of wanted to put an episode together basically titled that the concept of fairness is one of the biggest poisons to society right now. And it's, I feel like it's kind of funny for a mental health professional to say that because we're known as like this field of like, feel good and speak your truth and all this stuff. But I've been really bucking against that because on on the one hand, I totally accept that people are born into different circumstances and they start at different For starting sure. lines, like 100%. Like I can't tell, you know, the kid and, and these are the kids I work with that have been through 10 foster care families and was sexually abused by their family. And, uh, you know, I've been through all this stuff. I can't talk to them and say that, oh, you have it you have all the same opportunities that they know, don't. this person who was born yeah. with a trust fund has. They don't. Right. You get dealt a set of cards and yeah, it's, it's not fair. However, if you're constantly telling that kid that like, well, it's, you know, it's not your fault and you know, the society is stacked against you and you make it all about like right. that, then when they believe that they're a powerless victim, how could anybody be happy when they believe they're a powerless victim of circumstance? Exactly. And and that and is are, are, yeah. you're just you're just cutting that person down at the knees by telling them it, essentially by by making them believe in an external locus of control. You're just you're 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 destroying that person's ability to have agency and feel like they have any power over their life. Yeah. And and it's awful. Like and, and I, I get it. Like, I don't think these people have malintent that send that message. I think that they 
they think that they're, you know, on the side of social justice. And, and I agree, like, there's things we can do as society to try to make things more balanced and, and work out. However, at the same time, we need to be working on that internal locus of control, too, and letting these people know that, okay, these are the cards you've been dealt. Now it's your job to play those cards the right. absolute best that you can. So how are we going to do right. that? How, how are we going to make this happen? And I feel like well, this, especially that, you know when I'm when I'm talking about these things, I'm talking to you know an audience where I'm assuming, and this is not always true. Um, I'm assuming that the people I'm talking to are you know able-bodied people who live in a Western country or a country Western enough to you know have access to all these things. Right. And if you were that person, uh, I believe that you have all the tools you won the lottery in so many ways. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and that's not to discount, you know, any traumatic experiences you may have had or any unfairness in life or anything like that. It's just like, let's just take a step back and instead of focusing on the, the parts of our life that, um, by no fault of our own are maybe not ideal. Let's just remember we have all the tools and opportunity in the world. Let's make the most of it. Now, if you, now, if you are, um, a kid who, you know, um, was born with no legs and lives in a fucking trash dump in the Philippines, which is a real thing. Okay. That's a different conversation. Yeah. But if you're just crying because, you know, you were born on the wrong side of town, uh, and you know, uh, your school didn't have the latest textbooks, like fucking get over it. Yeah. And, and ultimately it has to, no matter how bad the situation is, ultimately that has to be part of the message is that you are still capable of accomplishing things. And you totally are. I don't know if you've ever heard like Gary Vaynerchuk talk about this, but uh, you know, he's, he's kind of brutal about it, but I think it's, it's ultimately a positive message and someone will say, well, yeah, Gary, but this or that happened to me. And he just says, and yeah, I remember, I always remember when I talk about you know, this. Tony, Tony Robbins yeah. is the same way. I always remember this one kid I worked with whenever this topic comes up where a big part of our work was simply just changing the absolutes that this, this kiddo had in their head. Because I remember they'd come into my office all the time and they'd say, this is never going to get better and this is impossible and it's always going to be bad. You know, those absolutes of always, never right. And, and I, and they said, um, at one point they said, you know, I'm at my breaking point. And I looked at the kid and I said, well, where's that? And he looked at me kind of incredulously and was like, are you being a smart ass right now? And I'm like, kind of, but seriously, where is it? I like pulled out a ruler and was like, can you show me on here where your breaking point is? And he kind of figured out where I was going and he was like, well, no. And I was like, why not? And he was like, I don't know. It's not real. I'm like, exactly. It's not. This is a self-imposed barrier you've made for yourself. So our work from then on became, he knew that anytime he said always, never, those types of words, I would just give him a look. And that he knew that that look meant that he had to stop and change the word he had used. So he would constantly go from like, oh, this is impossible. And I'd look at him and he'd go, it's hard. It's really hard. And I'd say, yes. Yes, it is hard. And There's it's a especially big hard and right, impossible. Right. I'm like, and I know it's extra challenging for you because of the things you've been through, because of the experiences you had early on and what they've done to you, but it's not impossible. Like it's it's just challenging. 
And and sometimes life is just unfair like that, where some things are harder for some people than somebody else. That's sure. that, unfortunately that's just the way things are. Uh, so what you're talking about to me sounds like CBT, which is one of the most transformational things that I discovered yeah. maybe about five years ago or so. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, and maybe you can describe that for anybody who's not familiar with it since I'll probably do a bad job of it. No, it's, it's fine. I mean, it's basically in a nutshell, what I just described, you're, you're identifying thoughts that we call like unhelpful thoughts, which not, may not be necessarily be untrue thoughts. It's right. just more so about like they're making you feel bad. They're holding you back. They're, they're putting in, I I talk about like this concept of the self-fulfilling prophecy all the time too, where it's like, okay, if you have a test coming up and you tell yourself you're going to fail it, are you going to study for the test? Probably not because you've already made up your mind. You're going to fail it. And so you don't study, you go and you take the test and what happens? You fail it. Why did you fail the test? It's not because you couldn't do, it's not because you couldn't pass it. It's because you set yourself up for failure and you didn't study. That's ultimately what it come, came down to. So maybe if you had told yourself, okay, this, this content is hard for me, um, but I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to study for it. I'm going to get some help. Maybe I'm going to go to a tutoring or whatever. Maybe you would have passed the test and it all just came down to challenging that unhelpful thought and, and putting them. It's basically like thinking glass half full all the time. If I could boil it down to the simplest way of looking at it, it's, it's always having your glass half full instead of seeing it as half empty. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a very like, I guess, analytical person and I always like specifics. And what was really transformational for me was my uh, psychiatrist who is also weird like me. And that's uh, (laughs) a tip for anybody, if you feel like you're not clicking with whatever mental health professional you're working with, uh, you can find another one. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's important to find somebody who you do click with. I I have seen, I don't know, three or four in the first few were like, yeah, I don't really like this guy or yeah. girl. It doesn't feel like they get me. And then I found this guy who's a total weirdo and I could ask him <laughs> about like the size of molecules in these drugs and he would answer my questions, nice. um, which is what I wanted to hear. Um, cause I want to know like exactly, I, I, I want to know the specifics. So anyway, he gave me a list of these patterns of distorted thinking. You can Google this, like Google, uh, CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy and you can Google like CBT patterns of distorted thinking and you'll get a list of them. Um, yeah. and like the one you were talking about is black and white thinking, right. um, which is one that I was prone to when I was younger, not so much now, but the one I've noticed I'm definitely prone to is catastrophizing. So, which means like I naturally, uh, whenever something happens, I like quickly go to like the, something, you know, negative happens. I quickly go to like the worst, worst, worst possible case scenario and convince myself that that's way more likely than it is. Like if, you know, my boss didn't return my phone call, um, all day, <laughs> that's because he hates me and he is doing the paperwork to fire me. And so when he does call me back, he's going to say that I'm fired. And then after I get fired, my wife's mother is going to be so disappointed with me that she's going to tell my wife to leave me. And then I'm going to be broke and alone. And then I'm just going to kill myself. Like that's actually how my brain works. Yep. Going to the absolute worst case scenario. Worst, 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 worst. And of course, and actually, and, and of course, then he calls me back and he's like, Hey, I'm so sorry. I was at the airport. My flight got delayed. It was terrible. What did you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah. And then instantly I, you know, I'm like, God, what was I thinking? So 
Um, the reason my, my point with all this is I think it's super helpful for me to have that list of distortions because as soon as I recognize one, it's like being able to see how the magician does the trick. Like as soon as I recognize that this is a pattern of distorted thinking, it maybe doesn't instantly go away a hundred percent, but it kind of does, you know, I'm kind of like, Oh, my brain's playing tricks on me. Like, let, you know, let's just not do this. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to train yourself to be kind of self-aware about that and catch yourself doing it, which takes a lot of practice. Well, it didn't, because I'm a weird person. That's like such an extreme, like systems (laughs) thinker. Um, it clicks once I have, yeah, once I have a framework for something, it like instantly makes sense to me and I just use it instantly. So as soon as I saw that, I was just like, oh yeah, I recognize this one, this one, and this one. I had like 15 of them. I was like, I do these three, the other 12 I don't do. Cool. Now I know how my brain is broken. <laughs> Let's yeah. just identify this and fix it going forward. And then that was super helpful for me. You know, I mean, everybody's different, but that's like, that was a game changer for me. Like just having that like specific list of like distorted thinking patterns that helped me like you know, nip them in the bud yeah. and, you know, it still happens to me, but way, 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 way less than I used than it used to. Yeah. Well, and the other tricky part of this too, is that, you know, that, that cognitive piece is super important, but it's that you got to remember that those cognitive structures and the parts of your brain that are associated with that are all in the higher part of your brain. It's all in like your neocortex. And that's the part of your brain that develops later on and and takes until you're about 25 to 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 work with all that and we're still if if you're dealing with that rocky foundation where those lower parts of your brain more associated with your emotion and again fight flight and freeze and all that stuff are not built up the way they should be then that can still create problems no matter how cognitively strong Mm -hmm. if you want to put it that way there's a great video i always recommend um from dan siegel who's a fantastic clinician that I really look up to. Bruce Perry's great as well, but there's a YouTube video where he shows you like the hand model of the brain. And he basically shows you that like if your wrist is like your brain stem and then you fold your thumb over into your palm, that's like the lower parts of your brain. And then you fold the rest of your fingers over your thumb and that's your neocortex. And what happens in stressful situations and especially for people who have uh, had chronic stress and especially trauma, their their baseline for that anxiety is much lower. So even mildly stressful situations can cause you to what he calls like flip your lid, which is like he he uh, sticks his his fingers back up and shows that now you're just functioning on your thumb, your your lower parts of your brain. Mm. And so depending on how and they've shown this in brain imaging and research that depending on how stressful of a situation you're in, you have access to less of the higher functions of your brain. They literally like black out because um, like, all the energy is sort of being redirected into the fight or flight response areas. Because what your brain right. thinks, especially if you've been through trauma, is that it's go time. We're in like danger zone right now. I'm about to be under attack. And so you go into a mode where now you're not thinking clearly anyways. So even if you've done that work where you're able to recognize the distorted thoughts in those situations, you become almost animalistic where that's completely out the window and, and that alone is not going to be helpful. So you've got to also be building up on those lower parts of your brain to, to really kind of get yourself fully in order. 
So the reason why I like to learn this stuff is because, I mean, I guess I'm a, uh, uh, a, uh, what's the right word for it? A uh, reductionist, which is to me, everything is just physics. Like the way you feel is a product of brain chemistry. And if the way you feel is, and if that's true, then maybe there's things you can do that will affect your brain chemistry that will make you feel better. Right. Yep. Like it's not, it's not magic. At least I don't think it is. I don't think it's some mystical metaphysical thing that like just the spirits decided today you're going to wake up and feel shitty. Like there's brain chemistry. And so with like what you're describing, uh, you would know better than I do about this, but you know, just that there's like the body brain like feedback loop. So when I yep. catch myself feeling that way, I make a conscious effort to like let the tension out of my shoulders and my face and my forehead, take deep breaths. And I instantly, and, and I'm sure that there's some sort of like brain chemistry feedback loop there. I don't know what it is, but I instantly feel like 30% better and less anxious just by like physically relaxing. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing is basic, you're, you're doing like a mindfulness practice. You're bringing an awareness back to just your own body and your current experience of the world and, and also just like even observing your surroundings. This is why like therapeutic yoga is taking off now too because... What is that? It, it, I mean, it's, it's literally just doing yoga but recognizing that you're doing yoga for your own mental wellness in addition mm. to your physical wellness because... I mean, this goes back to what I was saying, because if we're needing to focus also on managing that lower part of the brain, I always describe it to, to parents and kids this way. Like, OK, I told you that that lower part of your brain develops from age zero to three, basically. So I like to call it like the baby brain or the toddler brain. So if we're in stressful situations functioning at like a baby and toddler level, we need to think about what's soothing for a baby what's soothing for a toddler so if, mm. if, if you've got a little you know a little baby that's crying how do you calm that baby down shake it <laughs> shake it. that'll do it I, I don't have kids maybe maybe that's not what you do I don't know. <laughs> You're not sure. but they're they're theorizing that basically the first form of regulation that we learn is being inside the womb and that natural sway that happens while the mother is moving around. And that's why rocking is useful because it's simulating that same motion. So, so I say to them like, okay, if that's what's soothing to a child, then that's what we need to be doing. Cause those are the parts of your brain that are kind of broken right now. And we need to fix mm -hmm. that part before we can fix anything else. So even before we get to the cognitive strategy, strategies, one of the first things I'm teaching kids and families is how do you simulate that piece? How do you start rebuilding mm -hmm. those pieces? And it's more movement-based. It's mindfulness-based. So what you described is simply like noticing that you've got like tension in parts of your body. And that, I mean, it's kind of progressive muscle relaxation is what we call that. And then breathing exercises, Yoga is great because it's very like you're looking at your balance and it's building your strength and it's releasing other chemicals into your body that are positive and you have to be very focused on on what you're doing and it gets you out of yes. your head. And that's there's the, a have you ever heard of a guy named Stephen Kotler? That sounds vaguely familiar, but it, it's not. Clicking he right writes now. a lot about flow state, um, but he has he has a, a an acronym like a framework for this that he uh, uses, which is STIR, selfless, timeless, and information rich. Um, and 
that's why I do jujitsu because jujitsu is oh, it could be in, yeah. whatever you're into, but jujitsu is very like technical. So it keeps yeah. my brain busy. And when you're like, when you're in it, you, you have no sense of self. You forget about that. It's timeless. An hour and a half goes by in two seconds and it's very information rich. And so you are, um, in that state that to me, like after I do jujitsu is extremely calming. I mean, you know, it's, it's essentially like, it's the same thing as what mindfulness yoga is for normal people, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But if you're like a crazy person, you do jujitsu instead. But, um, I guess my larger point is getting back to everything we're talking about is like to recognize that you do have control to at least some degree over the way you feel and you should find whatever the techniques are that work for you, whether that's doing jujitsu or yoga or whatever the fuck it is, like find a list of all the stuff that everybody in the world does for this and keep going down the list until you find the ones that work for you and then keep doing them. Yeah. And, and again, it's gotta be daily. Cause I think uh, the other missing, it's like yeah. minutely. For yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. Really. I mean, cause again, you're doing brain surgery. So that's the other barrier I usually run into is I'll get the family on board with that and they'll be like, okay, that makes sense. But then I come back and be like, okay, how's your, you know, deep breathing practice going? How's, how, how's it working with these different, right. uh, even simple things like sitting in a chair and pulling up on the bottom of it or pushing on the pressure based things. Hmm. Um, literally like rocking yourself side to side. I do a lot of that just when I talk in general, I kind of like shift my weight from foot to foot. And that's, that's a regulating repetitive exercise. But I ask oh, like how a lot of people pace when they talk. On the yeah. Phone. Pacing. And then you look at kids with autism when they're like rocking really hard. Yeah. That's what they're doing. They're like self-regulating, even though they oh. don't maybe recognize that that's what they're doing. Um, and so I encourage them to do it, but then I come back the next week and I'm like, how's that practice going? And they say, well, you know, I didn't get upset this week. Nothing made me mad this week. Nothing made me anxious this week. And I'm like, okay, my response to that is uh, a lot of the kids I'd work with uh, played basketball. So I'd be like, hey, you, you told me you're on the basketball team, right? And they'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, oh, so you just like show up to the game? You just like waltz in and you play? And they'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, you just... You just show up and you're like the best player there. And they're like, well, no. And they start looking at me sideways again. And they're like, you're being yeah. a smart ass again, aren't you? And I'm like, <laughs> I again, I kind of am, but I'm making a point. What do you do between the games? And they <laughs> they look down and they sigh and they go, practice. And I'm like, well, I look, I know I'm being irritating right now, but it's true, right? Like you show up to practice and what do you do? You you dribble, you practice your shooting, you practice your formations. Are you trying to win at practice? No, you're just building up. It's literally muscle memory. Like that's why they call it that. You're doing it so much that it becomes second nature so that when the game comes, you're ready for it. And all of those skills are tightly honed so that it just happens more naturally. And I say it's the same thing with your brain and your regulating skills and your anxiety. If you just wait for that big game of when the big blow up happens and something really stresses you out, you're not going to be ready and it's going to go poorly. Whereas if you're just making this part of your daily or as you put it, minutely routine, then when those situations arise, they're going to go a lot better. And so that's the, the big part is like you have to be 
on it, on it, on it all the time. I worked with a kid where we literally programmed pop-up reminders into a smartphone that just said, oh. practice a regulating skill. And that That's helped smart. him remember to do it. And it really helped him. There's a saying in one of the 12-step programs. And I don't remember which one because I've been to so many of them uh, with my mom, not not myself, um, is uh, it works if you work it. And yep. that is 100% true. Totally. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. And let's get back into it. Another thing I wanted to mention, um, since this is a metal podcast, uh, <laughs> this is a, a concept that I discovered when I was a child through my mom, but has been really, really fundamental to my, like, well, like uh, a peace of mind is, uh, so you know the band Veil of Maya? Yeah. And you know, there's a cynic song called Veil of Maya, right? Yes. Do you know where they got that from? I don't actually come to think. Of uh, it. it is a, a Hindu thing. The way that the, the the way that I know about it is a guy named Paramahansa Yogananda, who my mom was into. He's a guy who came over to the U.S. and I think in the 20s. He's from India. 
to essentially, um, you know, his his message was that uh, Hinduism and Christianity were compatible. And I'm not religious, but this book, it's the only book that I still have that my it's like the only thing I have really that my mom gave me. Um, I have this book called Whispers from Eternity. And he talks a lot about that, uh, uh, talks a lot in that book about the veil of Maya. Maya is like illusion. And the veil of Maya is when you have this veil of illusion in front of your face that makes you believe, you know, in that things are, um, you know, other than what they actually are. And in particular, and that that in that veil of Maya is almost always self-imposed, right? Yep. Like it's the it's all it's basically just all these patterns of distorted thinking. And so you have the power at any time to like just remove that veil of Maya. And as soon as you remove it, you're like, it's like, you know, in the Scooby-Doo cartoons, like, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh, it was, it was the, it was the, you know, farmer all along. Yeah. Um, but that's like, that's such a transformational idea to me um, is and she would always tell me when I was a kid, like, this is Maya, you know, that I would be like pissed off about something at school that somebody did or whatever, you know, and I hated to hear it. You know, because to me, I mean, I was nine or something like that. And that's a hard thing for a nine year old to process. Um, but I'm so glad she told me because, you know, the older I got, I realized like, God damn it, she was right. It is all Maya. It is all illusion. All this thing, this thing I'm telling myself is true. And, you know, as like a hyper rational person, I, I can't help it. But once I realize I'm bullshitting myself, I can't help but admit it. You know, yeah. I'm like, damn it, I was bullshitting myself, wasn't I? That's not true at all. The situation is actually this, which means that therefore I have to do that. Yep. I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, it um, totally does. And that I mean, self-imposed veil of Maya is such a crucial thing for people to understand, and I think especially people in our scene. Like, let's be real—you don't get into bands called like Cannibal Corpse or Hate Breed <laughs> because you're like a totally normal, happy, healthy person. There's something up if you're into that stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's particularly important for people in our world to hear this stuff, which is yeah. why I'm so happy to talk about it. Yeah. And I just feel so grateful that my mom somehow or another, you know, had the capacity to put in that daily work for hours and hours and hours every day. And I'm so happy that she instilled that, you know, habit in me because I would probably be a really miserable, unhappy person if she hadn't. And I used to be a really miserable, unhappy person, and I dug myself out of that hole using, you know, the techniques and habits that she, you know, instilled in me as a kid. Yeah. And and you're lucky to have that. I mean, that built up some resiliency for you. You had some protective factors there. And, and that, those are the stories I hear, too, from a lot of people who come out of, like, really rough communities, too. Whenever I see somebody who is, like, super successful now, like, you see this with certain athletes and entrepreneurs and you find out that they came from this like awful situation where dad was abusive and mom wasn't around or vice versa. And you almost always hear in that story that there was somebody there who was instilling the messages that you're talking about, that was instilling that idea that you can still, your life is still worth something. You can Internal still make something. control yep. is what Absolutely. it's all about. If yep. you believe that you have control, you, may, you don't have 100% control, you know? Yeah. I mean, you could get struck by lightning. You could get cancer. Like, you know, someone could stab you 
walk into your car. Yeah. You don't have a hundred percent control, but you have, you have a lot more, you have control over how you process all of those things other than maybe being struck. By lightning. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you can do about that, but you know, you have control about how you process all of those things. Yep. And, and that's what nobody wants to, th- that, that's like my most hated thing about, uh, you know, aggressive music is there's like a handful of bands that have that message about internal locus <laughs> of control. Yeah, that's and true. So many of them are pointing the finger at other people. Punk too. You know, yeah, all of it, all of it. Any kind of like aggressive music, you know, whatever the genre, rap, like all the stuff, it's so much pointing the finger at cops or the government or your parents, like all these institutions, you know, and it's like, wait a minute. Like, for example, you know, people that end up in prison, I'll just use that as one example. Like, okay, yeah, I get that all these institutions you're talking about are imperfect, but they didn't make you pull the trigger. You know what I mean? Yep. Trump didn't walk out from behind the bush and like squeeze your finger on that trigger. Yep. You did it, buddy. Yep. <laughs> you know, it, like, it is. It's, yeah. You know, it, it's been something that's been interesting to try to come to terms with, especially just like the more I learn about this stuff. And like, I look back at when I was young and like, you know, it was easy to get wrapped up in this because you're you, you're angsty and you don't really know anything. So you're just kind of going on what everybody else is telling you. But now it's like I still enjoy the same music, but sometimes the lyrics just don't <laughs> speak the same to me anymore. And I'm just kind of like, man, this is kind of cringe. Like, Dude, I just don't is... want to hear it. Like all that stuff. I just don't want to fucking hear it. Like yeah. if it if it has that, like maybe I'm just old and totally over it. But if it has that message, if they're pointing the finger and blaming other people or being angry or bitter, just any of that negative stuff, I just don't want to fucking hear it. Yeah. There's just no, uh, there's just no room in my brain for that bullshit, you know? Yeah, you can't let it drag you down with it. But I have enjoyed, like, I'm glad you're touching on, like, especially in this scene, it's important to talk about this because, I mean... I, I talk to all these musicians now and I really enjoy doing it not only because I like this kind of music, but also because just like you said, I think most people who get into uh, especially metal, but also, you know, all these different, more aggressive, darker tones of music, they're kind of dealing with something. And yeah. I've talked with people that range from they're dealing with ongoing depression and anxiety all the way to they have a heroin addiction or uh, had a psychotic break and were in a psych ward. I, I did an interview some people listened to with uh, Matt from Slugged, which was one of my favorites where he talked about being in an institution for three years because they thought he had schizophrenia. And Oh, wow. Did um, he not? It seemed pretty clear from our conversation that he actually was just dealing with like PTSD because he oh, okay. had had a lot of traumatic stuff in his history too that he didn't go into detail on. But Ultimately, yeah. finally, going again to your very important message of, you know, it's not one and done with therapists. Like, just to be frank, there are a lot of awful therapists out there. Like, just like with any field, there's there's yeah. good firemen, there's bad firemen, there's good cops and bad cops, there's good teachers and bad teachers, and there's good counselors and bad counselors. And he was just not connected to the right group of people, and he finally got connected with the right group of counselors that recognized what the problem was, and they did various trauma therapies and CBT and now he's pretty darn functional and has a successful band and I was really shocked when he told me this story too because most of the 
band members I've interviewed, like I pick up on that very quickly. Like I've been in this field long enough where I just get that sort of energy from them where I'm like, yeah, you're like, you're dealing with something. But with him, like he doesn't come off that way. Like he seems like he's had himself pretty well put together. And I think it's because he, he really put the work in and got the right group of people that gave him the right uh, direction to go. So do you ever um, listen to uh, hate breed? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I know there's, that's that's like your yeah. theme song too on your channel. There's, yeah, there's a reason why I have two hatebreed tattoos. <laughs> um, and I don't know if anybody's familiar with their lyrics. I mean, they have like kind of a reputation as being sort of like a knucklehead, you know. Um, it's like motivational speaking, though. Is the but way it I was looking totally at it. Totally is. Like, listen to the lyrics. It's like Tony Robbins shit. That's that's something I really liked about uh, Henry Rollins' band too. Honestly, he's got some really like that song. Low self opinion is like one of my favorite kind of anthems because totally. it's all they about like working on yourself. I just love him in reason. general. He's a, he's a cool dude. I would love to he, talk to him. He does a lot. He's got a lot of. It's sad. It's honestly sad to me that he's what he's how old is he now? Like uh, sixty. Yeah, he's getting up there. He was born in sixty. So he's fifty-seven, I think. Right, somewhere born around in, there. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. He's he's older. And it's 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 sad to me that he has not. Um, I mean, I don't know the guy, so I'm only judging him based on his. Well, not judging. I'm only commenting on his. <laughs> I, it's not my. You know, I think it's an important distinction. I don't. I'm not in a position to judge anybody. I don't. I mean, that's just not what I do. I I can only comment on what he does publicly or what he talks about publicly. Um, I think it's sad, you know, that he. Uh, he's never been married and does not, um, he does, he expresses no interest in romantic relationships. And I think he would be the first to admit that there's, you know, that's, um, probably not the healthiest thing in the world, but yeah. it's, you know, he just like, that's who he is. And, you know, uh, if he's happy being that way, great. But, uh, that's kind of sad to me. Uh, and he gets a little ranty and negative and stuff like that. Yeah. He too. Can. yeah. Into that. Totally. Um, but when I was, 13 it was awesome i really liked hearing the the other two bands that still hold up to me um in terms of um uh i guess ideology uh i don't know if you are familiar with how these bands both hardcore bands uh did you ever hear shelter that sounds familiar but i I couldn't name a song or anything off the top of my head are you familiar with youth of today yes a little bit so shelter is the singer of youth of today's band after that after he became a Hare krishna um and uh, the music, I would say, is probably not going to be pleasant to most people. It's kind of <laughs> rough. This is like 1990 to 94 or so is when they were in their prime. But uh, the things that he's talking about in the lyrics are, it's you know, all like it's like Veil of Maya type stuff. Um, and uh, that was like the perfect band for me as a kid because I was into youth of today and I was familiar with like a lot of this like Hindu philosophy stuff because of my mom. So I was like, Oh, there's a band that does both of those things. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So like they have a song, for example, called in praise of others, which is basically him looking in the mirror and going, man, I've noticed that I have this like really gross tendency to like criticize other people and not really criticize myself very often that kind of sucks i should probably stop that um and i mean that's a pretty basic thing i guess but how many people in your life 
in hardcore or not, I have that level of like introspection to go, man, I'm, I'm a little more critical of other people than I should be. Yeah. I think, and it's certainly a rare thing for a hardcore band to write yeah. a song about that. Or they have another song called Photographs Lie, which is about um, comparing. And this, I mean, it might, this is from 1990 or 91, but it might as well be about Instagram in 2019. <laughs> um, it's about comparing your own life to what you see in magazines and making yourself feel like shit because of, you know, comparative thinking and because that's just the way our brains work. And so he's writing the song in 1990, you know, 20 years ahead of the game. So that band still totally holds up to me. Um, they also have like, a, 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 you remember back then, like uh, they would fill up this because CDs have so much more space on them than like an LP. And so they would yeah. fill up like the extra 20 minutes with a secret song or whatever. Well, on their album, they they put a speech on there by okay. I, whatever their equivalent of like a priest is. They're like religious leader. Um, and uh, it's essentially about epistemology, although he doesn't say that. But um, it, it's basically talking about how like scientists, you know, often or people in general say like, well, we used to think X, but now we know Y. And then a year later, they're like, well, OK, <laughs> yep. yeah, we used to think Y, but now we know it's Z. Yep. And he's like, well, you know, hang on. Why don't we uh, take a step back? They have a lot of songs about like, you know, materialism and how, you know, the pursuit of material goods is detrimental to your happiness, stuff like that. There's another band called Downset, which is like one of the first like kind of rap hardcore bands. Uh, I think they're musically better than Shelter um, and lyrically very interesting because they talk about a lot of the same stuff. Um, and, uh, but also with a layer of, they're from like a shitty part of LA. So they talk about a lot of like, you know, gang stuff too. Um, and again, because my dad, you know, being in corrections, my stepmom also worked in corrections and my aunt and uh, cousin work in corrections too. So like crime has been like, a, and I have a bunch of uncles that have like been in prison too. Um, so crime is always like a huge part of my life, even though I've fortunately never gotten in trouble. Um, but, uh, so Downset is the other band that really resonates with me lyrically. And just it, it, this will sound like a really douchey thing to say, I guess. But the older I get, the more I realize is that musicians are just not very insightful people for the most part. And if you're looking to them for like some sort of profound insight on life, like you're looking at the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> like the guy knows how to play guitar. That doesn't mean he knows shit about anything else. Yeah. So there's really only a handful of bands to me that like have anything that as a 40 year old man is interesting to me to hear. Um, and that's not to put it down or anything like that. It's just like at this point in my life, it's just not interesting to me yeah. in the same way as like watching, like I try to play a video game and I, I'm like, eh, this is boring. I'd rather work on a spreadsheet because it's like a more complicated version of a video game, <laughs> you know? And in the same way as like when I was 13, I would listen to Sepultura or something and think the lyrics are really cool. But now as a, you know, somebody with a fully functioning brain, I hope, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, eh, this is not that interesting to me. And that's why in a lot of ways, you know, most music just doesn't hold my attention now is because it's just, I've, I, I'm interested in thinking about things that are way beyond the scope of what is typically discussed in music, I guess. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, no, that's fair. And, you know, I, I, I still enjoy the music, but it's similar to me in that I moved away from that, you know, looking to the music to, like, 
fulfill something to now it's just shifted to this is just entertainment. This is just something that's regulating to me. This is something I just enjoy listening to. I don't really take stock in anything that the the lyrics have to say. Dep- I mean, dependent on the message. But yeah, it's, yeah. I, I don't look. And, and same thing with, I mean, celebrities too. Like I just roll my eyes constantly when, you know, we're watching the, <laughs> if you're watching the Oscars and somebody gets on yeah. a big showboating speech about right. politics and all this stuff. And I'm right. like, dude, you're an actor. Stay in your Shut fucking fuck lane. Up. <laughs> like, tell me about your acting. That's what I'm interested in. And so. Yeah. Like you could yeah. actually tell me a lot about how movies yeah. are made and I would love to hear it because yeah. you're a world-class expert on that. Yeah. You don't know shit about a lot of other things, right. so you should probably keep your mouth shut. I, well, I've been saying that I think politicians should start commenting on music. So, like, <laughs> you know, senators should tweet, like, oh, oh my, my God. God, did anybody hear the new Slipknot song? The snare sounds like a fucking wet cardboard box. What oh the fuck, God. Joe Barisi? <laughs> What were you thinking? I think you just came up with the best idea for a new podcast ever. I, I would listen to that in a second. Oh, my God. Politicians like poorly considered <laughs> trying like, to comment on on the music scene and shit. Oh man! But it really just points out, like, I'm not saying that you know we all um, should have you know this tight should like tightly confine our our thinking or our comments on things where we're like a total expert. It's not that, but it's just like don't talk out of your ass about things that you right. are completely uninformed on. And I understand that the you know celebrity or any musician, I mean, they get told a million times a day how brilliant they are they are and yeah. if you get told that enough times of course you're going to believe it especially if you're really young um or you've been told that for 25 years of course yeah. you're going to start to believe it but uh it's it's kind of disappointing have, have you ever uh, seen russell brand's youtube channel yeah yeah i've watched a few recently i i've kind of come back around to him because he was somebody that i got irritated for a while because he was falling into that trap and he was yeah constantly he, he can, he can yeah. go there's but sometimes especially when he talks about like addiction man he's fucking good yeah he's good when he's in his lane kind of like how you put it like it's really great and and that's where i'm interested in musicians is i want to hear about what's their experience right now and what can they tell me about music that i maybe don't know yet and then also for those of them who have like fucked up experiences and plenty of them do like hearing from them what's that been like how are they dealing with it how can they share messages with other people that are positive and even the most like coming out of super negative bands it's nice to get them one-to-one because they'll usually be able to come out and say like dude i i fucked up like don't do what i did like this is what you what you can do and here's what you can control and we end up having some really good conversations in that way and i think that is the healthiest and best thing that that we can be getting out there instead of all this constant nonsense yeah did you by any chance um hear any of the stuff kanye said maybe about a year ago when he was having that manic episode oh yeah i was following that pretty close closely i was i was Dude, interested some of it was so so good yeah I mean, you know sometimes he says some you know pretty weird yeah like shit, he's like definitely not stuff. <laughs> but some of the stuff he was saying i'm like god it makes me so upset that people are like deliberately misinterpreting what yeah. he's saying they were latching onto the wrong piece of it like they were latching yes. onto the very like team oriented piece of it whereas yes. at base his message was good and even that little single he put out with ti i loved the message of that song where it was it wasn't even really about like it was taking away the us versus them it was more about just like 
you know, how can you persevere? How can we band together to to do good things? I'm like, how is that message controversial? <laughs> well, you know, it's because people get um, get hung up on the tribalist yeah, part. Like people you were love saying. team sports, man. He's wearing the wrong <laughs> team jersey. So anything he's so he must be an awful person. And anything yep. he does or says is terrible until he puts out a new song that we like and then we forget yeah, about all that then stuff then we're okay again yeah <laughs> but magically all that was like erased from our memories like a yeah. jedi mind trick yeah hey yeah. remember a year ago when he was a literal nazi <laughs> uh yeah I, yeah I don't remember uh slipped my mind nope Weird. i've conveniently forgotten all of that uh because he's got another platinum record coming out <laughs> yeah but i really appreciate uh, like i think there's people like him and russell brand and a couple other people that uh are not coming to mind but like people like them who are uniquely qualified to talk about a particular experience which is like they've been through the fire of like really serious dysfunction and they've come out the other side and it sounds like the shit they're saying like to to people and and i haven't been through it as profoundly as they have but i've been pretty dark and come out of it and in the same way as if somebody went to like Mars and then came back and described what they saw, you'd think they were crazy. Um, that's the same thing with people like Kanye and Russell Brand. Like if you've been through a lot of the stuff they're talking about, what they're saying will ring completely true to you. And if you haven't been through it, it might just sound insane. So normies might listen to what they're saying and go like, whoa, what planet are you on, Russell Brand? But somebody who's been through similar things would go, you are speaking the truth and people need to listen. Yeah. Yeah, and those are the stories I like to hear. And yeah. I've been fortunate enough to just have a few people on and, and really just the, I haven't been doing this all that long, but I just like found bands that just naturally, like, I don't know if I could just feel that like there was something there but the people came on and they just kind of fortunately opened themselves up and were able to talk about those similar experiences of, of what they had been through and how they got to where they're at now and fortunately us not just going because i won't i'm like you i don't i don't like getting caught in the bullshit so i'm not gonna sit there and be like oh you poor thing i'm gonna get down to okay what have you been doing about it like how how are you making this better and um, really focusing on that, you know, persevering and resilience side of it instead of you know who, who might be yeah. an interesting person for you to talk to um, is uh, Michael Montoya from Winds of Plague. I don't know if you've seen any of the interviews I've done with him, um, but uh, he doesn't talk about this very often because he doesn't let him hold him back. But he uh, had some head trauma when he was in high school. He hit his head really hard when he was snowboarding, and he's narcoleptic from it. Oh, man. Yeah, traumatic brain injuries, man. They're no joke. In fact, I just posted a video today on Facebook. Uh, there was a TED Talk on connecting traumatic brain injuries to criminality. Yeah, yeah, the total. I mean, like CTE, like this is not – this is like a very, I think – so there's certain things that like science <coughs> hasn't really um, – you know, operationalized exactly how it works or why or what the effect size is or anything like that. But anybody who's been around it knows that it's true. And so like I've been doing, you know, martial arts forever and you see the same thing with like football players. It, it, it totally creates like violent behavior, like brain traumatic brain injury in some people, like totally make, makes them like into like insane, impulsive, violent people when they weren't before. 
It's like the rage disease from 28 Days Later. Yeah. And science is now like starting to say that that's true, but it's a thing that I think a lot of people realized was true if you've been around like biters and stuff. Yeah, no, but I mean, uh, we had a case of, of one kid who was completely like normal, functioning, everyday high school kid and then had a serious uh, head trauma, I believe, from football or some sport and immediately from then on started to have extreme aggressive behaviors, suicidal behaviors, like the whole you name it, it was it was going on and it was repeatedly ending up in the emergency room because of the kind of the fallout of all this and it's 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 a real thing. Like it's people need to be aware of this. Yeah, that's ugh, that stuff's scary. That's why I stopped doing Muay Thai and MMA. Yeah, you gotta be. Yeah, yeah, you gotta be. That's why I like how you know I, I listen to a lot. People are probably sick of me bringing this up, but I love the Joe Rogan podcast, and I like how when he talks about fighting, he he promotes the positive side of it, which like you're talking about with uh, like jujitsu, like the movement and the balance and how it's good for your regulation and that lower part of your brain. But he also balances that with don't get hit in the head. <laughs> like if you're getting hit in the head, <laughs> yeah. you're 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 doing it wrong, and you're you're fucking yourself up. So stop doing that. <laughs> you know, the psychedelics thing is interesting. I hate when he talks about psychedelics. Like I hate it with every fiber of my what? being. <laughs> Why is that? I just I just hate it because it reminds me of hippies, which reminds me oh. of my parents and their stupid friends, and all their <laughs> dumb dysfunctional behavior. But that's another example of where I. Uh, have to begrudgingly admit that all the people, the crackpots on there that were talking about using it to to treat, you know, psychiatric conditions weren't full of shit. I mean, yeah. now that's a thing. I mean, I asked my, you know, my psychiatrist about it. You know, it's like, is it true that people use ketamine or whatever yep. to treat it? He's like, yeah, it's, you know, still not quite ready for prime time, blah, 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 yeah, blah, blah. Doing... But it's like, yeah, I thought it was bullshit at first, too. Yeah. But no, I'm. I'm fascinated by it. They're doing all these trials with it. And some people are having like these life altering experiences and they're doing very specific trauma therapy with it, which is very interesting to me. Cause again, that's like my main focus is not just CBT, but trauma focused CBT and oh. uh, not only teaching them those skills that we were talking about to regulate their bodies and work on that neuroplasticity piece. But then we dive into like the trauma itself and kind of help them to sort of readapt and uh, come out of that with new perspectives on, you know, how can I accept my trauma and also utilize it as not a victimhood, but how is this going to help me move forward and how can I just sort of harness this to my benefit? But I do that through uh, a very specific form of like talk therapy, whereas they're combining it with this like psychedelic experience that is, uh, it seems like it's effective. Like there, there's not enough research on it right now right. to really say like where it's going to go, but I'm def it's got my attention for sure. And, and like last I heard, you know, like ketamine had to be administered by like a IV infusion that took like three yeah. hours once a week, which for most people would be like, you know, kind of a non-starter. But, <laughs> but, you know, but if you're, if you are suffering enough, it's not a non-starter. You'd be like, okay, fine. Sign me up. If you're, you know, if you're really suffering enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I just, I just try to keep an open mind about these things and no matter how much, 
you know, I feel the same about CBD, you know, the whatever yep. that stands for. Yeah. Like, I hate everything about marijuana and weed culture. I just despise anything remotely related to weed. But it seems like CBD is the real deal. And I have to begrudgingly admit that, you know, okay, maybe it's maybe it's not bullshit. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a really exciting time to be in the field because things are, like I said, they're rapidly shifting. Like all this neuroscience stuff has only sort of just started taking hold, I'd say, really in the last few years. Like I'm just now starting to get new hires that have had this in grad school. I didn't get any oh, of this in grad school. And I'm like, this should be required. You're pretty reading. young. Yeah. And yeah, I was, I, it, what relatively I wasn't in grad school that long ago and they didn't teach us any of this stuff in the program I was in. So it's exciting wow. to me to, to finally get people that are straight out of school, come in and be like, Oh yeah, I know all about that. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> Cause this is like foundational shit. This should be like your ABCs basically in this field at this point. And who knows what other crazy new stuff we're going to come across. The next thing you know, you're going to hire an ayahuasca shaman to uh, <laughs> take people on well, a vision quest as yeah. part, of your, part of your practice. Yeah. I mean, my other big idea, too, is that, you know, there, there's a lot of downsides to, like, technology and VR and all this stuff. But I'm excited at the idea of, like, how can we harness that? Because it's not going away. I'm like, could we right. find ways to, like do re-experiencing rejuvenating trauma therapy utilizing virtual reality oh, that's interesting yeah and i'm like could we find a way to like program in like their traumatic experience and because that's basically what you're doing in a lot of these different therapies is you're finding ways to re-experience what happened in a safe environment where you can retrain your brain to not feel so terrified and, right. and just recalibrate right. like right. fight or flight. Yeah, recalibrate's a great way to, yeah. to put it or like reintegrate. And I'm like, what if you could like literally experience it in virtual reality while practicing the techniques that you had learned? And it, it would be like a very powerful exposure therapy. And I think there's something there. Like, I, I don't think that's far fetched at this point. Yeah. I'm going to have to copyright that though. Nobody steal that. Who's listening? <laughs> Remember where you heard it first. Yeah, you're going to you're going to get rich. All I demand is a modest 35% cut of your proceeds. <laughs> I'll remember that. All right, man. Well, you've already given me a lot of your time. I don't know if there's other stuff you you wanted to talk about, other things you wanted to plug, whatever. Uh, no, that's that's about it. All I, I I just think this is the most important topic. Absolutely. Like, well, here's here's the last thing I will say is uh, a friend of mine who does like leadership coaching for like exec corporate executives and stuff. Um, he broke it down in a way that I thought was really cool. Um, when, when they're coaching people, he breaks it down into two categories, mindset and skill set. And if you only have one, but not the other, um, you are going to be ineffective. You got to have both. And, uh, so, and that's like in the context of like, you know, coaching your management team or whatever. But I think it, I, I would apply that same framework to yourself and your own like happiness. And like, you got to have both of those two things. You have to first have the mindset that you can control your own happiness yep. and the willingness, you know, to put in the work 
And then you, that's the mindset part. And then you have to have the skill set part, which is figuring out what actually works for you. And you got to have both of those things. It's not enough to just be motivated and say like, yeah, I believe it. I'm going to change it. You got to actually put in the work. But yeah. I think for most people, I think the mindset part is harder than the skill set part. I agree. Um, the, the, just the belief that it's possible and the commitment to, to do it. Um, and so for anybody out there, like if you are, or if you're hundred percent happy with your life, then cool. Good for you. But I think for most of us, there's probably something, you know, that we could work on. And, uh, uh, I just would highly encourage everybody out there to like, just take that look in the mirror and ask yourself like what, you know, is there something you need to work on? And then when you realize the answer is yes, yeah. <laughs> then, you know, don't shy away from putting in the work to make it better. Yeah. And, and I, I, I tell the counselors all the time that I'm training, I'm like 75% of your job is not being a counselor. It's being a salesman. Like when you yes. walk in the door, you got to sell them the idea of, this is what's going on. This is what I'm seeing. This is how it connects to what's truly important to you. And th this is, you know, this is what we're dealing with. And just getting them to a point where they can accept that. Yeah, I agree that you've, you nailed it. This, yeah. this is what's going on. And I agree that that is important to me. And that is what I need to work on. The other part of it, teaching them the skills, like that's a cakewalk. Like I can teach somebody deep breathing, grounding, whatever, all that stuff. And if they're in receptive, a couple of weeks, you yeah. know, if they're receptive, then yeah, that's not that hard. Oh, the last thing I would say is, um, I've noticed that for a lot of people who are experiencing depression or anxiety, which is probably the majority of people that I know and like the, you know, music world for some reason, like making an appointment to see a professional is like, that wasn't hard for me again, because I'm probably super rational and I'm like, well, that's what you do. So that wasn't hard for me, but I've realized that for some reason, for most people, that seems to be a really big hurdle. Yep. Um, I don't know why, but just please make that call. That's all you need to do is just make an appointment. And once you make that first appointment, it's, it's pretty easy, you know, like you're already down the path, but just literally all you need to do is just Google it, you know, do some research if you want, but like if nothing else, just Google like psychiatrists in your area and like go see them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then you have taken the first step towards fixing your shit and you will feel a lot better. I think just knowing that you are making progress towards, you know, where you need to be. Yeah. And I would add on to that too, that because that's so hard for, I'd say most people, if you're somebody listening who knows somebody else who's struggling with that, don't be thinking you're the nice guy. Yes, man. By just being like, Hey man, you know, whatever it's, it's cool. And just allowing them to continue to, to suffer, like drag them over the phone and be like, Hey, we're going to call right now. I, I took my friends. I said, Hey, give me your phone. And I called my psychiatrist yep. and I just pretended like I was right. I said, hello, this is so-and-so my friend's name. Yeah. I'm a new, I, I would like, you know, to, I would like to be a new patient. Please call me back at this number and we'll schedule something. Goodbye. Yep. So yeah, don't, uh, don't be shy. You got to yep. give your friends a nudge yep. in the right direction. And, and they may it, get so, pissed yeah. at you. They may hate you even, but I mean, it's better. They, they hate you and they're alive and they're getting better than, you know, they, they, they died <laughs> and you were still best buds. I mean, I think you'd For prefer sure. them to be around. And it, and it, it, it can be life and death. So don't it, it, underestimate it, this shit. And, um, 
I think it's uh, I'm, I'm just really happy that we're in general having this conversation more in our world. Yep. Um, and uh, I, I think in 10 years, we're going to look back at all this stuff and be like, wow, can you believe that back in the 2000s, like we like it'll be the way that we'll talk about this stuff. You know, maybe not the same way we talk about polio now because we're not going to be able to eradicate depression. But like we're going to talk about it you know, in a similar way, it's just like, wow, that was so weird that back then, like it was a totally different landscape for how we talked about this stuff. Yeah. And, and that makes me hopeful. I'm a guy, yeah. I have to be a half glass full <laughs> kind of person working in this field. And so oh, we're totally yeah. making progress and yeah. it's thanks to people like you. I mean, this is a tough job, you know, it's not, it's a tough job. Um, so I appreciate that there's people like you who, uh, you know, are putting in the work to help people help themselves and, uh, and, and, uh, so we, I, I appreciate it for all the people and, and, and there's going to be a lot of people who I'm sure look back in 10 or 20 years and, 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 and look back on you and your team as people that change their lives. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you wanna help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really wanna support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The The Corner Corner of Gray Street. Street.